0: hey kevin what's up tim for today's podcast we watched the 1996 sci-fi action thriller chain reaction you know that one where keanu reeves is like driving the motorcycle he escapes an eight city block explosion of hydrogen by riding his motorcycle away from the detonation you know like a cool guy does right before the blast wave hits he lays down the bike and rolls and slides into an industrial pit to avoid the blast wave pretty cool so I have a quick question for you then, Kevin, as an avid motorcyclist yourself. Is this part of the standard motorcycle license test, or is it just something good to know when you're living near potential targets of nuclear weapon attacks? Tim, I think you're being super critical. Welcome to another episode of the Super Critical Podcast, where we delve into the fun and oftentimes nonsensical way pop culture portrays nuclear weapons. My name is Tim Westmeyer, someone who studies nuclear weapons and works on nuclear nonproliferation for a living. And it's been a couple of months since I've been able to get together. A podcast episode feels good, though. Feels great to be back. Thanks to everybody who had a a long time waiting. I appreciate uh, the time to kind of manage a few things in the work and personal life that got a little bit crazy, but I'm um, looking forward to my favorite pastime of overanalyzing movies with nuclear plots, especially tonight because I'm joined in the podcast studio slash Zoom with returning special guest, Kevin. Kevin, welcome back. Hey, Thanks, Jen. People will remember Kevin, uh, for sure, from some fun episodes we did, uh, including some on the nuclear plots of Back to the Future, the Weird Al song, Christmas at Ground Zero, which is especially relevant again, given that the Weird Al biopic came out, and most recently, our Choose Your Own Adventure story that had a nuclear weapon plot written for kids uh, who want to be responsible for solving nuclear crises. Kevin, really appreciate you coming back. Yeah, no problem.
1: And, uh, just on the Weird Al front, uh, he just was touring around the country, and so I got to see him uh, perform. There were some deep cuts; it was all the B sides, none of the none of the traditional uh, parodies. So nice, it was good.
0: Did he drop Christmas at Ground Zero?
1: He did not, but he did do some Grand Funk Railroad that I was not prepared <laughs>
0: for. That was his only cover. Well, that's great. Um, it's that's one of those things you have to be the guy in the background shouting "Christmas at Ground Zero, like it's <laughs> like you're calling out for Freebird or something. Oh,
1: I shouted, but that's not the one that I called out.
0: (laughs) Here's why we're here today, uh, and here's why I'm excited to have Kevin here. We're gonna finally, you know, finish something that was uh, started a long, long time ago. A chain reaction of events. Uh, should you, you know, sh- should you call it this? Uh, you suggested years ago that we cover this, and I mm-hmm. said, yeah, sure, we'll do it. I've got some other movies, but then every couple of uh, gets together, you would make a passing reference to this '90s movie that covers on nuclear topics, and then that all spiraled into you bringing up the movie. You know, it stars Keanu Reeves. That our recent social encounters. Uh, and, you know it in- Finally, you know, with uh, the new trailer for John Wick dropping this month, we have have finally reached a uh, super critical self-sustaining chain reaction. Can't be stopped. Uh, so what are we here to talk about?
1: <laughs> I, I suppose in the words of Dr. Alistair Barkley, we're here to talk about a pollution revolution. Uh, I, I guess also <laughs> the mysterious and perhaps nonsensical way in which that is achieved. Hmm. Uh, oh, and, uh, you know, the ways, of course, in which murderous quasi-governmental forces aim to maintain the status
0: quo and fight for American
1: R&D superiority.
0: Love it, love it. Uh, and this is all the very heady but sometimes fun movie Chain Reaction, 1996, uh, starring Keanu Reeves and Morgan Freeman and uh, a, actually a pretty, pretty decent cast. Rachel Weiss is in it. And it's this is a movie for me that has produced an incredible mandela effect kevin have you have you heard about the mandela effect before
1: i had not no
0: so myself and many many people that i've been reading up that have commented about this movie or people in the nuclear field have this thing where as the medical news today journal puts it the mandela effect is a quote type of false memory that occurs when many different people incorrectly remember the same thing. It refers to widespread false memory that Nelson Mandela, the South African human rights activist and eventual president, had actually died in prison in 1980s. And it was like forever. People thought, no, he's dead. And it's like, wait, no, he's not. He's still alive. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, another example of this is like when kids uh, would or people would remember the, the kids book series, the Berenstein, um See, I did it. The Berenstain bears as Berenstain bears when it, if you look at the cover of one of the books it's it's stain s-t-a-i-n yeah it's just this like weird thing where you like you swear that something is something and everyone else feels the same way but you end up thinking that you might be on like an alternate timeline or something where you're falsely remembering something and something changed (laughs) this movie I, i saw this 20 years ago i absolutely swore this was about keanu reeves inventing cold fusion and cold fusion is like a theoretical energy source where you fuse together two elements of like light elements like hydrogen results in a big amount of energy you can either break apart something with fission and that reduces that produces a lot of energy or you can fuse together something and that also releases energy this movie's not about cold fusion at all it's about something else but if you read any review of this online someone talks about it's cold fusion this it's cold fusion that i don't know why i remembered it as cold fusion did you remember this as cold fusion it's like cold fusion adjacent but it's still draws on nuclear tropes and that's still why it's worth us talking about I think what I
1: remember most is giant bubbly water kettle uh (laughs) and every time I make tea uh you know with the water boiler I feel like I I get a little bit of that chain reaction vibe you know I I will say though that I definitely misremembered the whole Berenstain Bears thing and I I I, that was one of my favorite books when I was growing up (laughs) when I was a tiny human being and all but I totally thought it was uh Steen I I it's
0: a uh, memory plays tricks. The number of reviews online about this that we're simply talk about it being cold fusion. It, I'm glad I'm at least in good company about this, but it's good that you suggested it so we can finally settle the score here and let everybody know who works in the nuclear field or likes these kind of movies. We can get this cleared out of her head and hopefully never make this mistake or never forget about this again.
1: All right, let's put her to bed.
0: So this movie was directed by Andrew Davis, who people should remember from the Academy Award nominated film from 1993, The Fugitive. With Harrison Ford, pretty darn good kind of chase thriller. The not-so-academy award nominated Under Siege with Steven Seagal. And he also directed a movie called A Perfect Murder, which I think has Michael Douglas and a couple other people. And I I just like this. I love this movie because I've never seen it. But for years, I had a poster of it on my wall growing up because the library was giving away some for free. So I got a poster of The Perfect Murder and City of Angels, which I've never seen either with <laughs> Nicolas Cage. But that was, like, the poster on my wall. Oh, and uh, wow. people oh, you have funny tastes on movies. I'm like, I don't know. I just don't get to get movie posters, because when you're a kid, you get whatever you get. And it worked yeah. out great. No, City of
1: Angels. Wow. I mean, I I, I feel like, what is it, Sarah McLaughlin or something? Like, the, the, the sad yeah. uh, song that is uh, played for all of those ASPCA... Uh, or PETA, or whoever, commercials. It's like, that's that's the vibe I get when I think about City of Angels.
0: I wish I would have had a movie poster of Chain Reaction on my wall, because then I would have seen floating heads of Keanu Reeves, uh, who plays machinist Eddie Kasalovic. 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 This is kind of post-speed, post-point-break Keanu Reeves pre-Matrix, pre-John Wick. So kind of an interesting time for him. Uh, Rachel Weiss is in this. Uh, you may know her from The Mummy. Uh, she plays this character in this movie called uh, L- Lily Sinclair. She's a physicist. We got Morgan Freeman. He's like this non-profit leader slash shady businessman, government person, somebody. Power broker, Illuminati type guy uh spoiler alert uh paul shannon is his name character's name and then we got some fun fbi agents uh fred ward from tremors one of my absolutely favorite dumb movies <laughs> and kevin dunn who uh is from, i think he's the chief of staff in veep
1: yeah and he was in dave he was yeah. uh
0: and i mean he was he was he was
1: twisting toward the wrong side but i think he ultimately came out as a a decent guy in that one as well so mm-hmm. definitely see the vibes that people were bringing to the table, actors, actresses were bring to the table even back then.
0: I mean, there's huge people in this. Brian Cox is in it. Uh, he plays the game uh Lyman Collier. Uh, people may know him from, um, <laughs> I know him from Super Troopers. Uh, he's from a ma- bunch of amazing stuff. 25th Hour is one of my favorite movies, and he's in that one. Uh, he also played the original Hannibal Lecter in the movie Manhunter.
1: Manhunter, yeah. I know ne- You know, I never saw that one. I, oh, that's great. Uh, speaking of movie posters, I did have a Super Troopers movie poster hanging on my wall because I, I got it while I was working at a video store in Ooh. high school. So I had I, I, I admit I had access to some pretty solid movie posters and stuff that I actually watched and would want to see.
0: I'll trade you one perfect murder and one City of Angels poster for half of your poster for superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, alas,
1: all gone. Shoot. They moved around for quite a while, down to a, down to a single movie poster now.
0: Back mm-hmm. to the future. Uh, that's that's it's fitting. Uh, just to keep the nuclear ones. And finally, there's a couple cool cameos in here. Uh, Michael Shannon, who's listed as Mike in the credits, which is hilarious. He plays a DC delivery flower delivery guy. And Neil Flynn, uh, who was a janitor in Scrubs. Um, he's kind of in the movie for a split second before he uh, meets his end. Quite a quite a cast here, right? Especially with that one. I'm like Neil Flynn was also the
1: NYPD officer in the Subway of the Fugitive that calls out for Kimball... And then is gets shot by the one-armed man. So it's like, these are two movies, you know, almost back-to-back, that Neil Flynn plays an officer that gets murdered by the bad guy in pursuit of the good guy.
0: Huh. In Scrubs, I think uh, my wife is, tells me every time we watch Scrubs, that the janitor was supposed to be just in JD's head. So, like, for the first <laughs> couple episodes, he doesn't interact with other people. Maybe he's actually a ghost based off of these two uh, police <laughs> characters that he plays. <laughs> Maybe. Certainly. I don't know. So let's get into it here pretty soon. Uh, we've been talking forever because and, and, we just haven't you know, had a chance to catch up and it's been a while since I've had a chance to record. Uh, so it's been fun to talk about movies. So why are we talking about this movie? Well, I mean, it made some money. It made $60 million worldwide, according to Box Office Mojo. Now, again, that was against a $50 million budget. So you can argue whether that was... Uh, successful because if you have to include all like the things like marketing and all of that uh Rotten Tomato um they don't love it uh you know all of the reviews there total up to be about an 18% fresh Roger Ebert though gave it about two and a half stars out of four he said quote I'm tempted to say that Chain Reaction needed more work on the script but maybe it needed less the film is so filled with scientific events chase scenes and bewildering explanations of the plot that finally after taking eight pages of notes I gave up exhausted and just watched the kinetics of the film It's it's not a bad film in individual moments and the energy of his performances, but it does not make a whole lot of sense. So we're here to basically see if the nuke stuff makes sense and to talk through a little bit about the nuke adjacent area of this story that people constantly remember as being related to cold fusion but yeah no we'll we'll get into this here um two questions i have in general to kind of cover as we uh talk about this movie one how did the plot try to lean into the pop science understandings of cold fusion and hydrogen and nuclear things because it's very heavily linked uh to nuclear power and nuclear weapon themes and secondly, uh, were there other stories in the news that kind of made this movie a little bit more concerned with things like international espionage and China spying on our nuclear secrets? As usual, spoiler warning, we're going to jump right into it. We've actually probably already spoiled a little bit of this movie, but this came out in 1996. I'm not too worried about it, but we're going to definitely get into it for more moving forward, right, Kevin? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. The
1: Cold War may be over. We now find ourselves
0: embroiled in another struggle, an international, industrial struggle. A struggle we dare not lose. In a split second.
1: Eddie, did you computer model your work?
0: No, I didn't. I was uh, too busy building it. Eddie Kasalovich will be left with the one thing no one else possesses. Cheap, abundant energy, water with the hydrogen. they would be interested in this technology. A secret. But wouldn't. The rest of the world would kill for. There are many threats to our way of life. Not all of them wear uniforms. Keanu Reeves. Someone's setting us up. Morgan Freedom.
1: You said you had it under control. I did. Reaction.
0: It's him. I gotta go. We'll come to you. Eddie. As an equal, watching everything. I'm being framed. And opposite. It's classified. Your position is non-negotiable.
1: We didn't do anything.
0: Reaction. Your experiment just got a mind of its own. Chain reaction. Who are you? I'm your friend, Eddie. All right, so start us off. What are we introduced to? You you kind of raised the first quote of the movie uh, earlier talking about how we do the <laughs> political um not a political revolution, a pollution revolution. Pollution revolution. Which That's just sounds right. like you're going to pollute more, but fair enough.
1: <laughs> maybe maybe a pollution revolt, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and there's
1: so there's Dr. Alister Barkley and he holds up a glass of water and he says, "This glass of water uh, is enough energy, enough stored energy." To power the city of Chicago for a week—that's <laughs> a tall glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> this team of scientists and machinists from the University of Chicago, trying to extract hydrogen from water in some sort of efficient way to provide an abundant fuel source that can be burned like natural gas or something like that.
0: Yeah, you, you I don't know. You, there's like a laser at a, hitting water in a in a big, as you mentioned, a big like tea kettle. Um, yeah, it makes the water go. And then like, lots of bubbles. And then somewhere <laughs> off in the distance, like flames blow up and they're like, great, we've gotten the hydrogen out of the water. Now we can burn it. And if we burn it, it turns into water. So we just keep doing that over and over and over again. And we have essentially free energy.
1: Yep, lasers.
0: And that will solve the world's problem because we don't need fossil fuels anymore. We put this in a car. We put this in airplanes. We put this in power plants and the world will be peaceful. There'll be no more war, uh, no more pollution. None of these kinds of stuff. This is 1996, right? So this is kind of a big deal for... for for this kind of stuff popping out They weren't, you know, gas prices then weren't even as nearly as bad as uh they are these days. So this I is this sh- seemed like a pretty big deal. <laughs> right? Yeah, and who knows what Al
1: Gore was up to. I, I don't remember, <laughs> I wasn't paying that close of attention. You're probably pretty excited by this movie. Oh, I'm sure. This whole Uber Save the World uh, scientific process is not really successful because their laser doohickey is all unstable, but then rather quickly on in this process. Keanu Reeves' character, Eddie Kosalovich, is turning some metal on a lathe at home and discovers a frequency that somehow stabilizes the laser reaction uh, in the water, which, you know, he has conveniently running in, in a small scale in the background of his home workshop. So then he goes to his conveniently located digital sampling keyboard, grabs a microphone and records the frequency of the sound into the keyboard so that he can go back and hit a key on the keyboard and play that and then show that it sustains that reaction.
0: Alistair, it's working. Is it stable? Yeah, it's stable. Completely stable. My God. We go tomorrow. Temperature, gas flow, acoustic drive steady. The regulator seems to stabilize the reaction. Lucas.
1: My spectrometer shows stable hydrogen production. Getting okay, more out than we put in. <gasps> That one really hit close to home for me because growing up, we had this tiny little uh, Radio Shack branded realistic ConcertMate 500, like little mini digital piano keyboard thing, which was just a rebranded Casio SK-1. You know, we weren't doing experimental fusion or trying to sustain experimental fusion. You know, it's funny. I do have a small lathe. I do still have that tiny keyboard. And, uh, well, I've got a glass of water here, too. So maybe I can do this experiment here. (laughs) It sounds like the script was rewritten for Keanu Reeves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it was originally written by this uh, film writer, Josh Friedman. And he wrote a spec script called uh, Dead Drop. He wrote the script. Originally, the plot was described in on online sources in 1995. So a year or so before this movie came out as Keanu Reeves playing a quote inventor who runs for his life when he learns his government employer has sinister plans for his high tech weaponry. So he, I think he was like a, a, a scientist who was married, had this whole like he was an older person that they had to kind of rewrite it a little bit for Keanu. And it's this seems like some of the stuff that got Keanu excited about it, because the, some of the things people know about keanu reeves right he, you know everyone loves him he's a nice guy uh he also loves motorcycles and there's lots of motorcycle scenes we'll talk about and he's got a band uh dog star uh, and he plays uh various instruments for that so i think it's like keanu this movie's for you man <laughs> we'll throw it whatever we'll make we'll make the plot not necessarily make sense the science not make sense but we'll make it seem like you did it with uh you solved the day with your various hobbies which i think hey, is pretty cool man i'd love to get that done i I,
1: yeah, I wish i had that kind of star power i mean the motorcycle that keanu rides in this movie is a 1976 kawasaki kz 1000 which i think you'll appreciate uh was the an unfairing diversion of the uh, california highway patrols motorcycles uh in chips yeah which yeah was featured heavily in chips and also in terminator 2 judgment day and of course Keanu Reeves currently co-owns a company that builds Bespoke Motorcycles, uh, Arch Motorcycle Company, which is pretty cool. So, I mean, this is well past the production of this movie, but I mean, at <laughs>
0: least he's consistent. I love it. Well, this scene is not only trawling on Keanu's interests, but also a little bit of science. There's this thing called, uh, I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but it's like uh, Solemn Numenescence. Sonoluminescence? Yeah, let's say that. Let's say, it's, I mean, I'll edit it later that I said that. Yeah. Um, But it's it involves essentially like drawing energy from sound and water, like you use certain kinds of frequencies that make water bubbles expand and contract, and in the process it produces heat, and that heat could be used to power something. So I think the idea is the combination of that plus the laser makes it the process that they're doing to extract hydrogen to then burn like you would natural gas stable and something or another but the, the important thing is it is it works and is able to uh build this you know take this uh frequency and bring it to the lab the next day and and they get it working and everyone's pretty excited about the whole thing this team of scientists here right we meet a couple of them we, we meet Paul Shannon who's the Character played by Morgan Freeman seems like he's the money guy, but you know also a project guy. But he's the money guy. Uh, you got the head of the project, the guy that uh, Kevin quoted from the the beginning of the movie, the very like the idealist project manager, Dr. Alistar Barkley. They they're they're both excited that it's working, but then you start to see a little bit of bickering. the during the win party, it seems like Alistar wants to release the information to the world share it with everybody we figured this out put put it out there and let everyone benefit from this well morgan freeman's character wants to keep it a secret wants to keep it within the united states so there starts to see a little bit of tension here and apparently this is a cool fact a lot of the various people who are in the movie like keanu reeves uh, morgan freeman and rachel weiss apparently spent a couple of weeks at Chicago's Argonne National Labs, which is where most of the movie was filmed. Uh, I like Argonne a lot. I work with them quite often in my professional life. Uh, Argonne is, is terrific in the work that they do on, on nuclear security, on some of the counter-proliferation stuff that I work on. Uh, so it's really cool to see the, to see this. Next time I have a chance to talk with them, I'm going to ask them if they, uh, they saw Keanu uh, back in 1996. There's some real-life tension there, maybe drawing on some stuff that they learned uh, when they were visiting the town. But uh, it's pretty nuts. And we see a scene where... Alistar and uh, Dr. Liu Chen, uh, who's one of the other kind of scientists on the project, they are on their computers. They're talking about the internet. This is 1996. This is a big deal. They log into AOL.com and they start to upload um, <laughs> their breakthroughs, but then a group of people enter the lab and attack uh, everybody. And you start to, You see maybe one of them's missing and one of them's dead.
1: Yeah. I. I one thing that I didn't catch on to or certainly didn't remember after... Yeah, you know, twenty six years or whatever. Is that the truck that the bad guys drive in to the uh, facility says Great Lakes Asbestos Removal Company? I mean, I suppose yeah. Why not? Asbestos <laughs> bad,
0: hydrogen good. Uh, yeah, that sounds like the. There's some sort of group that wants to keep this information a secret. And they also set up a bomb to explode. And we find out about that when Eddie, he helps, uh, take Lily back to her home. They get on the bus, uh, because her car won't start and they can't drive the motorcycle because it's too cold. And, uh, yeah, they get her home and he walks back or buses back and has to get his bike. He hears an alarm going off and he runs up, sees that Alistar is dead, sees that something uh, that gets the reaction is unstable. He just tries to get on his bike to get out of there.
1: Yeah, which, by the way, the way Eddie is dressed in <laughs> Chicago winter to ride a motorcycle. Uh, yeah, no, he'd be freezing his butt off two blocks away. I, I have plenty of experience riding in single, nearly single digit <laughs> temperatures, and he is woefully unprepared for that.
0: That I will put that in the goofs section of IMDb. <laughs> so he gets on his motorcycle. He, and of course, there's an explosion, a huge explosion. The news and the other characters say that it, is, it destroys eight city blocks, this massive hydrogen explosion. But fortunately, Eddie is able to, as we mentioned at the beginning in our cold open, he's able to ride away, he's able to lay down the bike, uh, and is able to kind of slide into a ditch and and hide as the shockwave comes over him. There's some interesting stuff here about nuke stuff and there's interesting motorcycle stuff Uh, i'll flip a coin here uh lands on head i don't know what that means kevin you get to go first to talk about the motorcycle stuff and then i'm going to talk about uh some of the interesting nuclear connections to the scene
1: all right well i'm just going to
0: quickly drop some motorcycle lingo on you all when eddie slides
1: into that uh, the the ditch the pit whatever uh that's called a low side because the Tires lose traction; the bike slides out in front of the rider. You know they go their separate ra- ways. And although I'm sure he got a nasty road rash uh, sliding through the dirt, you know he's generally safe. So that's a that's a low side. A high side would be if uh, the bike had lost traction and quickly regained traction, and then just would violently eject him from the bike, hmm. kind of over the top side of the motorcycle. That's generally a bad thing because. The motorcycle could then collide with the rider. Whereas you can kind of control a low side, you know, it might happen intentionally or unintentionally, but it's generally safer to low side rather than high side. So, okay. And well. in this case, that low side saved him from, uh, a nuclear esque blast.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he, he makes it he makes it in the ditch and, and probably is like, Yeah man, this if this wasn't uh exploding around me, this would look pretty cool. And he like looks around it's like, did someone's iPhone record that? And he's like, Wait, what's an iPhone? Uh <laughs> hopefully someone recorded it. Uh but what we do see in the film is we see an explosion that definitely gives off like nuclear detonation vibes. There's a mushroom cloud, there's a shockwave it's hydrogen exploding, all those kinds of stuff uh, together. But, you know, mushroom clouds and shockwaves, these are very common things, even in non-nuclear explosions. Uh, Most of the time in movies, people see it, a mushroom cloud, they think it's nuclear. But, you know, there's examples of this. A a recent one from 2020, there was this big explosion in Beirut, and you can see all kinds of different uh, videos of this online. Pretty, pretty amazing, terrifying videos of an ammonium nitrate storage facility, where 275 Tons of this stuff exploded, uh, killed over 200 people, injured 7,000, about $15 billion worth of da- property damage. Uh, and it's terrifying, but you see a small mushroom cloud appear, which essentially is just hot air rising up and then cool air coming in to uh, replace the hot air. Uh, and you see a shockwave, a visible shockwave uh, in that video. So that's definitely alluding to this. And this isn't not just me with my my rose-tinted, Fallout-tinted glasses uh, watching this movie. I mean, the people who created this film- uh, and I'll, this is, I'm quoting here from an article that I'll link to in the podcast show notes by Tim Prokop. And he quotes the uh people who were talking about the movie and wrote me the movie as, quote, After studying reference footage filmed by the U.S. Army during nuclear tests in the 1950s, the visual effects team then used computers to create a realistic shockwave scene in the film. So they're... Clearly drawing on this uh from kind of uh you know, nuclear imagery. But uh, fortunately the news reporter tells us in the movie uh that an FBI agent told him uh that it was reported by a Bureau spokesman that no nuclear device went off. There was no atomic explosion. So even the movie itself is making these overt references, but telling us that it's not nuclear. Uh so therefore it's um where it's all safe, but there's still something going on. So I I just I just hope that the visual effects team wasn't discouraged by that news report. It looked perfectly nuclear to me.
1: Oh yeah. They were totally pandering.
0: To me, uh, in uh, <laughs> to you, to young Tim, to me in sixth grade. Upon returning, you know, to the site and them talking about, you know, to the police, they get questioned by the FBI, and it turns out that that Eddie and Lily realize that they're they're being set up. They're being framed. Uh, someone's planting evidence. the uh, A fax machine has a critical a uh, role in this movie in multiple scenes, and someone is sending fake faxes from Doctor Chen, uh, who's still missing. Like he, they they couldn't find him. The fax is like, meet me at the rendezvous in Shanghai. Follow through with the plan. You know, things you would send someone if you were trying to do a conspiracy over a fax machine, and that, that's being sent to Lily. And Eddie's home has two hundred fifty thousand dollars in cash and a micro transmitter thingy. Uh, so clearly the fbi thinks that they're in on it eddie and lily go on the run uh but it's interesting here just a a quick aside so lu chen he's the scientist on involved in the project he's being framed and set up as a spy for china trying to steal energy secrets this is interesting so in the 90s mostly in the late 90s but there was a lot of rumors and stuff in the mid 90s in, in the political discourse about various people that might be spies for china Trying to get at the U.S. nuclear secrets, whether it was at the Department of Energy um, or kind of the uh, the military side, there was all of these debates about this stuff, and it's very controversial because some people got uh, arrested for years and years and years, and a lot of arguments maybe made that they didn't. There was not enough evidence to actually support that uh, particular case, but this all came about. And resulted ultimately in a big report called the Cox Report, uh, which is by Christopher Cox, a representative who had a report that came out of the Select Committee on U.S. National Security and Military Commercial Concerns with the People's Republic of China. And it was it was released in 1999. So after the movie came out, but there was a lot of news reports in like 94, 95, 96 about this particular concern Uh, and the main thought there was that China was stealing design information on the United States on thermonuclear weapons, those that use um, hydrogen as part of the, the process. Again, they didn't have access to the Cox Report. There were some news stories uh, in the 90s, mid-90s about some of this stuff. So I think it's interesting that they went with China instead of, say, Russia or somewhere else. Uh, but it definitely is a fascinating kind of allusion, I think, to some real-life situations here. But back in the movie, our two heroes of, are fleeing to Wisconsin uh, to, this, go, to basically go to this woman named Maggie, who's an old friend of Eddie's. Eddie's able to evade the FBI in Chicago. He does this thing with the drawbridge where he, like, hides in a drawbridge like gears this is where I'll be completely honest if it sounds like I'm low energy at this point, this is where the movie started to lose me. I was very confused what was going on in a lot of these chase scenes. They seem to go on really slow for a chase scene. I don't know. Do you know what's going on? You took better notes than I did about what <laughs> was going on with this. But eventually, like runs away from the FBI, gets on a train and, and goes away. But like, what was what what was that? I mean, come on, Tim.
1: It's '90s action movie. You know, you can't not have uh, a, a drawbridge escape. A even. Even if it was him slowly climbing to the top of that drawbridge and then uh, sneakily escaping by causing a distraction and hiding under a garbage truck, but I mean, okay. So the the baser part of me, it was like, okay, action scene, go, stop, action scene, go, stop. That's a lot of what was happening in the the middle. Was it a fast paced action scene? No. Not so much,
0: but yeah, the drummer I mean, scene did not draw me in. <laughs>
1: I uh, bridging uh, <laughs> from that scene to the next. So cut to Wisconsin and there's they've got these crazy uh, ice sleds uh, that are powered by like like windsurfing with with ice sleds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was the getaway. That was my Mandela effect. I'm like, Oh, I'm waiting for them to get away on these wind powered ice sled things. Uh, but no, I completely forgot about the airboat. They escape on an airboat, which as seen in the movie was a very awkward escape where he spin, uh, where Eddie and Lily kind of spin around in circle a bunch of times after stealing an airboat from local like fire departments, <laughs> yeah. practicing ice rescues on this frozen Lake throwing out a red herring and distraction and the helicopter chases the airboat. Oh, nobody's on the airboat.
0: It it was, it's a very weird scene. And this is the one where we, we joked uh, earlier where, Uh, the janitor from Scrubs gets shot because he holds them up. He's like a regular cop and he holds them up and he he caught them on a roof and they're ready to turn themselves in. But then a helicopter out of nowhere snipes him and, and then basically like frames him for murder for killing a cop, which is then we find out it's like maybe not the best thing if we were trying to like bring Eddie in because cops don't like it when you shoot a cop. So you may not actually get arrested. You may get killed. Uh, Of course, I was, while I was watching the movie, I'm like, but someone is framing them. They're going to know the difference between, right? Like a gun and, a sniper rifle in terms of and then they eventually do figure it out but whatever AJ, yeah they eventually do figure it out but uh the main thing is that they the reason why they got caught in wisconsin was because they were trying to contact paul and say paul i think we figured it out like th- there may be like a connection with this other organization group that they've been finding information about yeah they um paul at this point seems to be like on their side he like tells them to go to maggie's he tells them to you know stay low you know he'll find them all of this stuff but then we get a scene where Paul the FBI's in on him they basically they're like got their eye on him then he ex- kind of like s- sneaks away to the secret facility that apparently according to the FBI like doesn't exist on tax records and property information and all of this it's like a secret base for this yeah. like Illuminati group called uh something or another but they they call it like C systems
1: yeah it's located at 108 Fairlawn Way in Leesburg Virginia yeah, that yeah. place does not exist sadly
0: uh, you you google it? I checked Google
1: Maps. <laughs> It, it, it yeah it disappointed me
0: it doesn't exist in the movie either but it is a place where we find that Paul Shannon has been like in cahoots with uh, this guy Lyman Collier played by Brian Cox and they seem to be some pair of like both of them are like quasi-government non-profit industrialists representing the CIA but also maybe like business it's just like every conspiracy theory grouped together and it's a group of people who represent some other kind of interest Interest, and they are feuding a little bit back and forth about whether or not this was the right play. Uh, we were supposed to get the information and blow up the plant, but then we weren't supposed to kill this person or frame Eddie. Like, Eddie's the only one who knows the frequency, right? That they need to make this plan work because they want to build it, but they want to keep... It's a little exhausting to keep track of it all, at least for me, for me from my perspective. But we learn, essentially, Bergen Freeman was in on it. It was his call to kill the uh, Dr. Alistair Barkley. Bar- 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 He's kind of trying to bring Eddie and Lily in peacefully because he wants them to work for him and to solve this problem so they got to get to dc eddie sends a coded message over to paul the fbi are able to intercept the message but they can't figure out what it is and essentially it's a code to meet at a smithsonian in dc and they get to the museum uh they call it what what do they call it in the movie it's oh no no
1: it's the dc science museum which is very interesting because it's somehow a combined natural history museum with you know neanderthals and And then an air and space museum, despite those being two distinct, separate Smithsonian museums.
0: Fun. Uh, Well, apparently a lot of those scenes were filmed in Wisconsin, as you can imagine, kind of tax breaks for Wisconsin. And and some of the people who were there as like background extras included the now senator, then state rep, uh, Tammy Baldwin. So Paul and Eddie was able to meet up along with Lily, uh, at the museum that's not the museum that <laughs> they think it is. And Eddie, uh, learns from Paul, his kind of role in the plot and says, all right, man, Eddie, you gotta come in. I'm your friend, Eddie. Uh, you gotta come in, come in and otherwise they're gonna kill you. Then Eddie escapes. But unfortunately, the goons from Lyman, the same ones that killed Doctor Alistar, are able to capture Lily and put him and put her in a van. Through kind of an interesting scene, Eddie jumps into a police car, finds the license plate information from the van in there. They're able to trace that because apparently that's traceable uh, to a, a place that doesn't exist uh, in all of the maps, and it goes to a place called C Systems Research Facility. He breaks in there. He figures out what's going on. He uh, they realize that like the people, the scientists that are there Dr. Chen, uh, is there. They can't solve the problem that they're trying to solve. They they can't find the frequencies that Eddie knows. So Eddie kind of like fixes the situation and like starts to set up a whole thing here. Basically trying to play his hand and set up the end game here. Pick some leverage to get Lily and others away from here.
1: Yeah, and I I gotta admit, it was was a pretty great little STEM montage uh, in the copycat lab (laughs) when Eddie fixed everything. So, yeah. And I don't know, Tim, did you know Notice when Eddie was crawling from the kind of industrial site a mile and a half away through the secret tunnels connecting to sea systems that there were some Office of Civil Defense, uh, Department of Defense, 17 and a half gallon drinking water barrels in the sea systems tunnel. It's, I mean, was that a thing? Is that legit? Is that did those exist? Uh,
0: I mean, like civil defense stuff did. Uh, that's that's pretty. I love it. I wonder if those were meant to be like, these are recently created or these are from holdovers from the Cold War. Uh, whatever it is, I, I love it. I, I, the reason why I was a little distracted there in that scene, I just kept thinking about another move with Morgan Freeman, who stars a guy who climbs through a tunnel, uh, trying to escape out of uh, <laughs> a, a prison-like situation, not trying to break <laughs> into one. Uh, Shawshank. Like it was a Shawshank sequel, where it's like I had to break out of prison and get my boat. Now I have to go back in. The Rock Two, Shawshank Redemption Two. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it's funny because I was definitely getting some uh, some pseudo uh, Austin Powers vibes as they were driving around on the little uh, electric golf carts in the <laughs> in the tunnels.
0: The next day, it looks like one of the scientists was like, oh, I figured it out. I solved the problem. Uh, and they all start to celebrate.
1: The uh, the random scientist in the, the, I keep calling it the copycat lab, but uh, I mean, this, this scientist takes credit for uh, the machine suddenly and mysteriously working <laughs> because he was, quote, inspired by a dream. Yeah. Come yeah. on, buddy. You think nobody would ever figure that out? That's some, that's shaky.
0: Just wanted to get that promotion, get that bonus. But then Paul's suspicious. Paul thinks that someone did something. So he goes back to his office, sees Eddie there, realizes what was happening. He, he essentially tries to convince Eddie to join his side, right? And I think he kind of, they generally agree on what to do. But then Lyman comes in and Lyman's not wasn't going to have any of that. But... So Eddie basically says, "All right, I, I'll 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 give you the proof. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the the frequencies if you just let us go." But then Lyman's like, "No, we already figured it out, and we're gonna shoot you. So go away." Eddie makes a phone call, who then like some sort of noise causes like a like a dial up noise causes all like of the a machines. Noise. Yeah, 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 it like shuts everything down, causes the machine to start to get a little bit unstable, and then Eddie's like, "All right, now you gotta the pole place will blow unless you let us out." Lyman though can't be negotiated with. He shoots Dr. Chen in the head, grabs Lily, and is like, nah man, you can't you can't play with this. I'm crazy. I'm a, I, I'll do whatever it takes to to get to win. What'd you say,
1: Eddie? 20 minutes before
0: it blows? Maybe less. Is he right? I'm afraid he is.
1: Well done, Eddie. Well done. You wouldn't blow it up if you weren't
0: sure you were gonna get out of here alive. Sure I would. Lyman, I think it's time we got the hell out of here.
1: Oh, oh. Jen! For God's sake, Lyman! Jen! Wait! Oh, Jesus Christ! What is wrong with you? Turn it off! That was totally unnecessary. If you haven't got the stomach for this, Paul, you just stay clear out of the way. I'm going to turn down the power and reboot the system.
0: No! no don't touch that! Don't! Hydrogen containment failure. Potential personnel hazard the compressor's just shut down turn it back on man no, no, no. you can't
1: the computers are down i guess it's time to go go go
0: there starts to be an explosion uh ultimately there's a choice that paul needs to make am i going to go with Lyman to escape now that this is exploding or am i going to uh help uh out eddie and lily it looks like he's leaving like, he leaves them behind. They get stuck behind. At one point, that scientist, the dream-inspired uh, scientist, does some sort of mistake. Right? he shuts the power on and off, which means, I guess, apparently, like, they can't control the chain reaction. And now it's going to explode. Lily and Eddie, they're, like, stuck in the room with the explosion. Everyone else is trying to get out. But it's fine, right? They, they find a way out of there.
1: Oh, yeah, because, yeah, look at the pile of, uh compressed gas tanks off by the wall so let's go ahead and wrap an axe with a rag (laughs) so we don't create a spark that ignites the hydrogen that's obviously or allegedly building in the air and that tank manages to move this huge concrete block off the stairs
0: why why is there no ventilation in this room to make when you're working with hydrogen gas right you want to get that stuff out of there yeah whatever right i don't know
1: it's it's really interesting uh, how this all worked out. Because, you know, ultimately, the uh, this big explosion of hydrogen occurs when a piece of paper falls into an exposed laser beam. But, I mean, I, I don't know if that's the titular chain reaction. Paper falls into laser. Laser creates heat. <laughs> heat burns. Paper ignites hydrogen. But, I mean, it's like, so there's this huge slab of concrete to secure a staircase in the floor. But then there's this steel garage door on the wall that looks like you know a sawzall could cut through uh and then there's absolutely no barrier on this high-powered laser so i don't know what kind of haphazard safety protocols these people were working with but this was kind of inevitable
0: the other thing that doesn't make any sense to me is like yes hydrogen is uh, incredibly flammable it has a low ignition point we've seen the explosions that hydrogen can do the hindenburg all of this stuff large hydrogen explosions are a thing but, like, how much hydrogen is this thing making to cause, essentially, the the size of this explosion? I can understand it being a big thing. Chernobyl was a giant explosion, too. But it just seems like the amount of hydrogen that they were making from the amount of water that they were boiling or whatever they were extracting from just doesn't seem like the scale of what it was. Did that explode tanks of hydrogen that they had somewhere else? I guess it doesn't matter the explosion was huge. It looked like a nuclear bomb, but it was just one of those things. I'm like, how much are they making that causes this entire like underground facility to explode? Whatever, yeah,
1: right. It doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: So Eddie and Lily escape the
1: lab and try to escape the building, the facility, and then Paul Shannon deactivates the the containment.
0: Oh yeah, he uh, he he saves them at the end, right? I guess. Yeah.
1: I mean, they don't realize that they just like, oh hey, the door suddenly popped open. That's cool. And they escape up up the the mine shaft as as bad guys chase after them, try to kill them. I did
0: not allow a mine shaft gap. <laughs> Doctor Strange love reference. I mean, we must be
1: increasingly on the alert, prevent them from taking over other mine shaft space in order to breed more
0: prodigiously than we do, thus knocking us out from superior numbers when we emerge, Mr. President. We must not allow a mine shaft gap. Finally that disagreement between Lyman and Paul it looks like it's gonna to come to a head it looks like Lyman's about to shoot Paul in the back now Paul got the j- jump on him shot him took the disc with all of the information uh for the plans uh, for the frequency and all of that stuff it's like you're you have been replaced on the board your retirement has happened or something like that it seems like they're setting up some kind of great mystery with him and yeah he gets away he gets in his car drives off uh, the last scene in the movie is like him giving a, a memo to his secretary
1: Anita take a memo to the director of central intelligence see systems no longer a viable entity will be in contact that was really funny too because uh i i learned because i stuck around and watched the credits for a little bit paul's assistant anita was actually played by margaret travolta who is john (laughs) travolta's older sister Uh, because while they were riding around on those golf carts in the tunnels i noticed that she was there each time i'm like who is this lady that was john travolta's older sister yeah, with that ending, I really feel like with the way things went down between Paul Shannon and and with, with Lyman, the C Systems is no longer viable. Mm-hmm. They were totally setting it up for a sequel. These days, with the, the tidal wave of sequels that are being produced, I wonder who will pick up the mantle and create chain reaction to
0: super um, critical um <laughs> yeah. no i i would love to see that yeah it, just to wrap up the movie because we've gone on longer than i think the movie lasted but <laughs> eddie and lily get cleared by the fbi let's at some point in the movie the fbi agents realize like oh wait this evidence is dumb like all of these things don't make any sense like we, they could have figured out if they were good cops at the beginning none of the all the all the conclusions that they drew they could have drawn from day one but i mean like is Paul going to be okay? You know, like Paul's not, is he going to disappear somewhere? Is he going under, is he Now is Paul going to go undercover? He seems to be a guy who's like connected in wealth. Are the FBI not going to also go after him? It doesn't make any, it's all not clear. The movie just essentially wraps up pretty quickly and with a kind of like a nice happy-go-lucky thing. And if you stay for the very, very end of the credits, there is a little bit of a scene right at the end where you hear a shockwave explosion. You see an imagery of a subsidence crater happening, like a nuclear test underground. But it's like at this facility. So you see an explosion and then you see collapsing down like in a, you know, a, a crater, like a subsidence crater. Which is what happens when you build a, a nuclear device and it exploded underground. A subsidence crater instead of a crater created from an explosion above ground. And then you hear Keanu Reeves go, Whoa. <laughs> I don't know what that means, if it was to set up some sort of sequel, like uh, an end of, the end of an Avengers movie, but it was definitely kind of fun. It's the very yeah. last thing before the DVD shuts off and you go back to the, the main menu.
1: Wow. No, I definitely, I mean, I, I started watching the credits, but now I feel guilty that I didn't uh, stick to it. I did not realize that. And that is like the earliest post credit scene that I am <laughs> aware of now. That's pretty wild
0: well it is fun it's the end of the credits signal to us to get super critical about some of the nuclear plot stuff here uh and and of course did this movie have actual nuclear detonations or nuclear weapons or things like that i mean it didn't but it's a fascinating adjacency to nuclear science and nuclear energy because how much this movie likes to pretend to be cold fusion, but without cold fusion. Uh, and it draws on things that are connected deeply to cold fusion. And coal fusion has its connections to, to nuclear power, because most nuclear power plants separate elements of uranium slowly. Instead of quickly to make a nuclear bomb, you do it slowly in a sustained way. You can produce heat, which you can boil water with, and then you can turn a turbine, which produces electricity. This idea behind cold fusion is this concept that you're able to fuse together Elements of hydrogen, which you actually can do, happens all the time. It's what the sun is powered by. Uh, but you only really see this in two places. You see this in stars, and you see this in nuclear detonations. So the when you a nuclear weapon explodes, it produces for a very small amount of time, uh, well, I guess for a while, but definitely for a short amount of time before it explodes, the intense heat of the sun. And when you do that, you can fuse together in a design of a weapon called a thermonuclear weapon. It's designed to use the heat from a fission of uranium or plutonium to fuse together elements of hydrogen, which produces an incredible amount of energy that is its own explosive force, but also is then now used to compress even further and produce more fission reactions, a combination of stage one, stage two, stage three. And that's how you get the difference between a very large weapon like the nuclear bomb, the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima in Nagasaki, which are anywhere between 15 to 22 kilotons. You go from there to megaton size nuclear weapons millions of tons things that can destroy not just like a city center an eight city block type situation but an entire city you get that with the hydrogen bomb the h-bomb the super as it was referred to by members of the manhattan project so there's definitely this strong connection between fusing together hydrogen and nuclear weapons but there's also a lot of connections to the science which we'll get into here about um how cold fusion was was this idea that you could do this thing not just in the sun or in a nuclear explosion you can mix it with kinds of metals, You can hydrogen. You can do all these different tricks to essentially do fusion at room temperature. It's something that has never been proven to work. But in the 1980s, uh, 1989, and a couple times here and there, various scientists have claimed that they've been able to do this. But uh, it becomes incredibly popular in popular culture because it's a great plot hook for setting up some kind of story about free energy. It gets connected to pop culture and even to the point where We talked about earlier, Josh Friedman, the original script writer of this, he even talked about the plot, even though he saw the movie and wrote the original script, which they apparently changed tremendously. He even refers to it as Cold Fusion when he writes in his very, very interesting blog, uh, which I'll link to about, and he tells a story about his original spec script. He says, quote, my original script called Dead Drop was set in Washington, D.C. and concerned a married 50-year-old inventor for the CIA who goes on the run with his wife, discovering that one of his inventions was used to kill Senator. The movie *Chain Reaction* is not about that. It's about cold fusion. And he goes on to write: For those that don't know what cold fusion is, it's a scientific process by which the development executives set young writers on fire and create jackass movie McGuffins in the oxygen vacuum. Uh, he says he was fired not because he clearly was not qualified to mess up a good idea that the adults could. He was sent to the kiddies' table, known as the unemployment line, with while a second set of writers. At least eight had taken their his seat uh, and tried to work around the idea like a lazy Susan, known as the development of action movies. <laughs> so he's clearly not very happy about how things ended up. But even his jokingly response about how the movie ended up going from his script to where we saw in the film on the kind of the on our TVs, he refers to it as cold fusion, which I think is just hilarious. So I'm glad that even he has this Mandela effect.
1: Yeah, that's i mean i would be disappointed too if if sure. what i had tried to create became something so ridiculous but it's it's interesting though that you mentioned that the original uh main character was meant to be a 50 year old inventor for the cia i mean that totally screams harrison ford yeah i mean he would have been in, a, in his early to mid 50s in you know 94 95 96 that time frame when this movie was made maybe if he if he hadn't been busy with with other things maybe or if if they hadn't changed the script so much he might have been more uh drawn to participating Mm -hmm. if he was asked but yeah it's also funny that uh in the movie uh paul shannon tells the fbi that eddie kasalovich was brought on board of the project because of his experience with solo luminescence that you were describing earlier mispronouncing that
0: describing but fair enough (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah anyway the uh uh the infallible Wikipedia tells me that there was a nineteen ninety four research paper on solo sono yeah see, I can do that too uh, sono luminescence that postulated that temperature could reach over one million Kelvin, so I'm guessing that's where the writers came up with this whole two million Kelvin and rising. Hmm and the scenes in the laboratory both at the beginning and the end of the movie
0: yeah no it definitely seems like they're drawn on some kind of science with this uh, sonos uh music player uh technology you're referring to uh but the movie definitely uh, tries to go after a cold fusion adjacent type stuff uh and we kind of already described a little bit about kind of what cold fusion is and its connections to nuclear weapons but the fascinating thing about this movie is it it confuses me quite a bit uh it's not cold fusion but it it draws on the tropes of cold fusion. The movie is called Chain Reaction, which is a thing that happens in fission reactions, not in fusion. So already confused uh, a little bit there. It's definitely drawing on some real science with, with when it comes to, like, can you burn hydrogen for fuel? Yeah, all the time. We, they, they do it quite often. Uh, can you use hydrogen to build like a, a battery that allows transmission of you know power from one source to another yeah i mean there's hydrogen fuel cells and and all kinds of vehicles and uh stationary batteries and and things like that and it's it's definitely a thing where people have been trying to find a way to to get more hydrogen uh, because hydrogen does not naturally just occur uh, you have to find maybe you find a pocket of it somewhere but often it's like, produced through industrial processes sometimes you can extract it through methane but that requires like a power source to do so and usually that's a fossil fuel natural gas or something else that reduces that produces pollution or you can try to use um some kind of electricity to extract hydrogen fuel and they they're actually working on this in in fukushima in japan that the power plant science facility is using solar to produce uh, maybe a way to get at um hydrogen it's one of the only places in the world that's producing at a huge scale a lot of hydrogen in a very renewable way but hydrogen is definitely a it's a popular buzzword At the Department of Energy, right, Kevin? Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, uh, you can see the U.S. Department of Energy, they've got a a hydrogen shot to to go along with the the moonshot kind of uh, concepts that they've been creating lately for different energy and uh, sustainability topics. And H2 at scale, uh, they're trying to ultimately drive the cost of hydrogen production down. You've got different ways. There's a whole rainbow of colors now used to describe the various ways in which hydrogen is produced. You've got your green, your blue, your gray, your black, your brown, yellow, pink, purple, red, turquoise, yellow, white hydrogen. And uh, so you were talking about Fukushima solar power to generate your, your yellow hydrogen where you use solar power to generate uh Hmm. to perform the electrolysis to separate the hydrogen out of water pink purple or red hydrogen would be that produced by uh, electrolysis powered by thermal energy from from a nuclear reaction it's just really interesting too because you've got all these you've got about 100 megawatts of of fuel cell projects for combined heat and power in the united states which are largely on the coasts on the west and east coasts and largely for commercial applications. Uh, wastewater treatment, which I assume is coming from the methane captured on site. But also colleges, universities, hospitals, government buildings, military facilities, those sorts of things. That's a hundred megawatts. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's also not a lot. <laughs> uh, the U.S., uh, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, the total U.S. utility electricity generating capacity in 2021 is more like 1,200 gigawatts. And that's maybe a hundred gigawatts of nuclear, hundred thirty-three gigawatts of onshore wind turbines, sixty gigawatts of solar PV, solar photovoltaics, and then you've got your fossil fuels. You have got two hundred twenty-seven gigawatts of conventional steam coal generating electricity, and five hundred fifty-seven gigawatts of natural gas from you know various technologies. So
0: how how much of this is how much of this is from Keanu Reeves based technology?
1: Unknown. Unknown. (laughs) It's a mysterious government secret. But I mean, then you look at your 100 megawatts of fuel cell projects, and then you realize eh, it's not not a lot. Uh, Department of Energy had announced earlier this month, that uh, there are four nuclear power plants uh, across the country that are going to be demonstrating different ways to generate hydrogen using nuclear power. And so the next couple of years, it looks like there's going to be that association, that further association of nuclear power and hydrogen production Mm -hmm. in the U.S.
0: Burning various fuels to produce hydrogen. I mean, it, I know it was very popular for a bit in the popular culture because um, the Matt Damon Mars movie that I've covered on this podcast that I just can't remember instantly the name of the movie. The Andy Andy Weir movie. Um,
1: yeah,
0: come on. The Martian. The Martian, thank you. There's scenes in that movie where he burning rocket fuel to produce hydrogen and he does some stuff with that to make water. The science of extracting things from things to, for, to get hydrogen and, and doing stuff with it, uh, it's clearly connected uh and it's i think the movie this is my kind of small uh confession i'm actually glad the movie's not cold fusion I actually think this is really fascinating. I think the movie just doesn't do doesn't do an amazing job of explaining what it is. And it gets a little confusing why this would be the scientific breakthrough that it is. But uh looking back on it and watching this uh in the eye that I, I've seen it in the in 2022 and, and hearing from you all the stuff that people are working on it, yeah, it does make sense. It just doesn't make very much sense in the film um or why people would want to shut this down when so many different entities are trying to actually get this to work and why you couldn't make money off of this uh, particular technology. And uh, one small little quibble people have talked about is uh, hydrogen. It does burn and it's very flammable and you can use it for the purposes that the film does, but uh, it apparently burns very light blue and it's like not very noticeable. But the movie has these like big yellow flames flicking off in the back, but that's probably because they want to see it on on TV, right? On the screen
1: yeah plus i mean hydrogen's a really lightweight element it burns quickly and i mean it doesn't not really naturally occurring or it doesn't stick around in earth's atmosphere it just wants to go straight to space so Mm -hmm. i mean even with the hindenburg and that that horrible tragedy it's like it the hydrogen burned off within like the first couple minutes while you know all of the other flammable stuff the diesel fuel the dope on this the coating the skin of the zeppelin that's what was burning so i mean the h-bomb versus you know perceived danger of hydrogen i feel like there's a little bit of a gap and some misunderstanding there hmm.
0: unfortunately this movie didn't do a great job uh rebranding hydrogen and, and hoping it's kind of pr to tick up here because it but it does show that it's a it's a popular thing and it, it definitely like made the people the villains in the movie whatever these people may be hard to tell really exactly what they are but there's some sort of vested interest that wants this technology to come out slowly and stay within the united states and the CIA is involved in some capacity there's a joke right that uh, th- the good doctor makes to paul shannon about how he needs to sell all of his utility stocks which is just kind of funny to me because it just seems like if his technology was out there the utility companies would just build it right They would just find a way to make the money off of that. Uh, But maybe the idea is that anyone could do this in their home. You know, all you you need is one police officer jokingly refers to as a a Neutron espresso machine. That little homemade version of it that Keanu Reeves has at his house. You just need that, a Casio keyboard, and something to grind metal. And you can do it at your own home.
1: I can also understand why people were thinking about this back then. Because during the mid to late 90s, uh, that was a time of restructuring and deregulation of electric utilities. So... There's a lot of uncertainty at that time. There's the the prospect of, you know, what are energy prices doing? What would that ultimately look like uh, across society when you start cutting off, start reducing the need for fossil fuels or so many jobs rely on from distribution, the pumping gas to Mm -hmm. they certainly were were trying to uh, stoke the fears of
0: uncertainty that were occurring in that period of time. Stoke the hydrogen fires. Um, So moving from nuke stuff to non-nuke stuff to a segment that I call the parking lot movie discussion. So if Tim saw this movie in 1996 and actually had that as a poster on the wall, uh, but before he took it on the poster and put it on his wall, he's with his friends in his parking lot talking about the movie. Have you heard about this thing called free energy suppression theory? I don't recall that one, no. This is some early internet conspiracy theory stuff. And it's definitely people, you may have heard it, by not its fancy name but it's the idea that someone people scientists someone has invented all of these different ways of doing some kind of way of doing free energy pollution free energy but a group of capitalists power brokers governments Etc. whatever you're concerned with, are keeping it from the public for some reason. The energy sources could be anything from perpetual motion machines, some people say it's reverse engineered alien technology, or it's things like cold fusion. There's all kinds of examples of this stuff where someone's invented this technology, but some power is keeping it a secret. The old joke of like, who killed the electric car? We've already invented this thing decades ago, but... Big auto, big oil is keeping this, and government is is suppressing this information. And this stems a lot from cold fusion, which is why this movie, people may think about it being about cold fusion, because in 1989, these two electrochemists, Martin Fleischman and Stanley Pons, claimed that they figured it out. They, They did it very small scale, but they were able to produce a reaction of hydrogen fusion at room temperature using this method that they somewhat described but didn't describe, and they they figured it out. It produced excess heat, and they went quickly, not following the traditional science route of publish, get your results out there, let other people replicate it. They just straight up patented it, did a big press release. And despite the fact that everyone tried to copy what they did, no one could. The Department of Energy put out all kinds of reports on this and were unable to replicate the results, but it didn't stop conspiracy theorists from thinking that the Department of Energy or, you know, the scientific elite or big oil someone is suppressing this information and preventing us from having the cold fusion powered cars that we all want. You know, 1989 is when this came out, but it kind of really picked up when 1995, 96, when those AOL discs started to get in the mail and people started to get access to the internet. This was one of the very first big big conspiracy theories and the movie very much draws on it 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 lumps it together with all kinds of other stuff together and and makes us like yeah but what if what if they were right and there is this free energy and there are these groups here's what it would look like and why you needed keanu reeves to save the day it's one of those things where uh it resulted in roger ebert concluding in his review the water to energy project is being run by paul shannon and lyman collier but they don't want to reveal it that it's been successful Well, why not? Free energy, we're told, would lead to recession, unemployment, plummeting stock prices. But would it? It seems to me that free energy would unleash the greatest era of prosperity in planetary history. By the movie's end, I've seen some swell photography and witnessed some thrilling chase scenes. But when it came to understanding the movie, I do not have a clue. What do you think about this as a plot device? I mean, people
1: flip the lights on and expect it to work. You know where it comes from. I don't think a lot of people really think too much about it. But so the the thought of that coming in inexpensively, freely, uh, you know, that holds that I suspect that's always held a lot of appeal because a lot of people call call it the the kitchen table discussions from the politics perspective of you know these are the things that the people worry about they paying their utility bills and that's that's a major concern so the thought of free energy holds a, a lot of appeal I can imagine so how they executed it uh, don't think about it too much but uh, <laughs> is it something that that
0: you know can. Can tickle one's fancy? Sure. Sorry to do another plot twist on you. I tricked you. You thought this was a non-nuclear parking lot discussion? Think again. It's a gr- it's a glass parking lot. Boom. Uh, explosions. All this stuff. Because I actually do have a connection between this and uh, nuclear science, uh, which is the idea that the Eisenhower administration pushed uh, about the, the potential for nuclear power. It was this whole thing in the 50s where power would be so cheap with nuclear energy and nuclear science that it would be too cheap to literally meter. there wouldn't be worth it to have someone walk around and check the meters because it was going to be so cheap to run nuclear power plants. Every city would have one. And it was part of this big initiative called Atoms for Peace. Part of that was probably based on some science and people wondering and thinking about what the potential of the science could be. A lot of it was Cold War propaganda the idea that the united states was trying to win a battle of will and minds and hearts around the world and Adams for peace was like a, an effort for that trust in the west's ability to have nuclear power don't ask us to give up these nuclear weapons and nuclear technologies because we're going to promote great achievements around the world and there were some elements of that that be true there was elements of it being not true like it's not a really good idea to use a nuclear weapon to build a dam or part of a construction project but the, there was this process called plowshares uh, but it didn't work at all so these these are the kinds of stuff that was there. But Adams for Peace was a whole initiative that um, reminds me a lot of some of the things that people were talking about in this movie of free energy. You know, there'll be so many nuclear power plants around the world. Uh, energy would be so cheap and it would be a thing to solve uh, all the world's uh, problems. Something that I would have imagined been at, add- if you change this movie a little bit, this is what Al- Dr. Alistair Barkley uh, would have wanted. But um, it's fascinating to hear you talk earlier about how a lot of these nuclear power plants are now being ways to produce hydrogen. So it all kind of comes full circle here Last question I have for you. Do you think that the plot twist of Morgan Freeman being someone that I guess you would argue is a bad guy? Yeah, right? Because in the end of the movie, they kind of make it seem like he might be a good guy? Or maybe he's just this complicated person. Did you like that twist? I mean, it's certainly one of those, do you root for the bad
1: guy? Do you is he a bad guy? How bad is he? I mean, he's a very great character in that regard. As I think about it more, I I mentioned that it would be interesting if I I thought they were going to create a sequel from this movie. And then I realized, wait a minute, Paul Shannon, he did have a sequel. He became (laughs) director of CIA Bill Cabot in Some of All Fears. So Boom! They 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 tricked us. He he did have a he did have a future. So
0: so instead of it being like write a memo to the head of the CIA, it's like note to self.
1: <laughs> yes, conceal identity and work now with the Russians to something. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen some of all fears, but I mean they certainly made us like him in the end of that. But
0: yeah, I mean I I just don't literally understand how at the end of this movie the FBI just doesn't find him because he's involved, right? Like, I don't, I don't think like Lily and Eddie are going to be like, nah, he's cool. Don't worry about it. He's actually was in on it the whole time, because he killed like their colleague, and was part of this whole process. And I guess he can just go under in, in hiding. But part of his whole like appeal as part of whatever the secret organization was that he was uh, involved, right? But I guess I don't, I don't, I don't know if the CIA is going to be implicated in this. It doesn't matter. The movie's over. Stop thinking about it. I do wonder what the sequel would be other than Some of All Fears.
1: Paul Shannon's conversation at the Senate hearing about more or less you all give me money so that you don't have to know how I spend it and so I mean
0: I mean, no. I, I, mean I may be my na- naive you're right he's probably just going to get away with it why wouldn't he's, he, right? he's walking away clean
1: and clear and or driving away slowly up a hill and then the driver kind of puts his brakes on and they slowly descend the hill it was a little anticlimactic that that driving away scene to be honest but there are no implications for Paul Shannon he gets out of this mm. and like I said becomes Bill Cabot director of CIA <laughs>
0: Uh, that that or he does go into hiding and then years later he's in a basement room filled with a bunch of other inventions that uh, Eddie created that are then used to power Batman. You know he might he might be that uh, Lucius Fox uh, in the basement. Maybe that's his later on role. It's all connected. It's all a, a multiverse of Morgan Freeman. All right, we've talked about chain reaction enough. Let's, uh, let's slow this reaction down to a subcritical reaction. Uh, let's, let's do our rating system. So this is where we rate chain reaction out of five, with one being the absolute worst film you've ever seen and five being, uh, that's just t- that's terrific. You, you'd recommend it to your grandmother. I like to tailor the rating system though. If we're going to get super critical about the plot, I want to get super critical about the rating system. Uh, so I, I also had a dream. I was also inspired, uh, to come up with an amazing rating system, uh, which is we're going to rate chain reaction on a scale of one out of five glasses of water that can power a major city if you only got one glass of water and you're thirsty ugh, you got a debate about whether you quench that thirst or you power chicago but if you've got five glasses of water heck you can even have, have like uh like a flight of water you can power sometimes you can you can drink uh you know, you can power Chicago, Aurora, Springfield, wherever you want. Uh, So you can even have a whole bunch of popcorn uh, and still be not thirsty at the end of it. I give this movie two glasses of water. It's not so terrible that I would be, like, upset to watch it. It, I enjoyed many parts of this movie, but I don't know. Something doesn't age well about the movie, to my thinking. Maybe because I thought it tricked me about the cold fusion. Probably that had something to do with it, but I don't know. There's some combination of, like, the science, the nuke, the conspiracy plot. It's a little over the place. I do think that Keanu's really good in it. Uh, Apparently he got like a Razzie nomination for it and I I don't really see that. I think he was fine in it. I think Morgan Freeman is really good in this movie. uh, As like he plays a really subtle character. If the rest of the plot was a little more, I don't know, I don't know what st- stable if it's, it's itself got stable if some kind of noise frequency stabilized the plot a little bit I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more brian cox is fun uh, in the movie But there's it's something about that last act that just kind of gets away from me I only kind of give it a two uh, which I was surprised by I thought it was going to be a movie I was going to give at least a three two. the water glasses are in front of you and you've got a picture How many of them do you fill up kevin?
1: Honestly, if they had or, or maybe if they hadn't uh, rewritten, maybe like the first twenty minutes of the movie, it would have been completely different and much better. So I mean, as is, I'd give it a, a yeah. I think I give it a two. Um, it didn't really bother me while watching it, like the the pace of the action. I mean, because they kept it, they, you know, there was enough variety, you know, like whether they were just you know escaping through a drawbridge or escaping on an airboat <laughs> or um helicopter snipers or you know explosions what have you i mean they filled the need for action and suspense in in this movie but if you pay attention to the plot it just it just doesn't help it so i mean if they had changed that first 20 minutes of the movie i might have been able to give it a two and a half three glasses mm-hmm. of water it's as is it's just it's tough to swallow
0: I wish I wish I wish we could have gotten a little higher on this one but we still got stuff to recommend uh to listeners for further reading watching uh maybe related to chain reaction maybe just something you want to recommend in the genre I've got four things here one watch the fugitive also directed by this director it's an amazing film I it never uh ceases to amaze me how good that movie is second watch the saint an actual movie about cold fusion people trying to steal the invention of cold fusion in uh, these, like, various industrialist uh, government types trying to steal it. Val Kilmer's in it. He plays this uh, super spy who falls in love with the woman who invented it that he's supposed to steal the technology from. Uh, but it's great. It's it's a, it's a wonderful, dumb, but also really amazing film. And actually about Cool Fusion. Uh, I recommend a book by Gary Taubes, uh called Bad Science, The Short Life and Weird Times of Cold Fusion from 1993. I think he's a journalist, so he's not a scientist, but he um, does a good job of describing how pop culture got so obsessed with cold fusion but also how the public got just so fascinated by some by the press releases and, and the news reports about this 1989 experiment but just also the breakdown and the scientific process that came about that and how it was able to get approved by some reviewers and how there's like politics was involved uh, and finally i'll recommend something related to motorcycles because there's a lot of cool motorcycles in the scenes uh in this movie i i spent a lot of time this past weekend and my son who's only two was enjoying this too was watching this is hill in i think belgium it's called like graveyard of motorbikes and it's like motorcycle um dirt bikes and it's just people going up this incredibly steep hill the goal is to try to get up to the top but no one can and it's just people crashing over and over again but there's something zen about it dare i say the zen of uh motor motorcycle dirt bikes up a hill but i'll send the link around kevin i don't know if you had a chance to see this it's called like the andar hill but it's so fascinating to watch people trying to get up the hill and i don't know why at some point i just in love with it my son was watching like the full 30 minutes of highlights of it they're not escaping from a nuclear explosion or a hydrogen explosion but i bet if they were they'd get up the hill kevin what do you got to recommend to people
1: uh i i just want to say i am not familiar with this particular uh hill climb but i mean dirt bike hill climbs are are a thing full of entertaining and terrifying fails too but Now I have to look this up.
0: I have so many scars on my head for not wearing a helmet when I was supposed to. Well, during dirt bike stuff out out in the desert uh, when I was a kid and uh, I'm watching these people fall down the hill. I'm like, ooh, ooh, my head starts hurting just looking at it. Yeah, that is
1: rough. And also, kudos to the saint. I will toss a random vehicular references on the side there. The original 1960s TV series starring Roger Moore had a Volvo P1800, a beautiful vehicle, (laughs) and uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most miles on a single vehicle. So another reason to love The Saint, if not necessarily the 1997 film, which was great, but it's enjoyable. But yeah, I guess I only have uh, one thing to add here right now, Uh, and it's not directly related to hydrogen or cold fusion, uh, but it is sadly apropos for Native American Heritage Month, Uh, you know, now that it's November. uh, I'm about a third of the way through Killers of the Flower Moon by David Graham. And uh, it's a story about uh, the vast oil resources and wealth of the Osage tribe uh, who were murdered one by one in the 1920s in Oklahoma. Uh, It really shows the lengths to which some People will go to exert control over energy resources, which kind of the whole yeah. Shannon Lyman dynamic uh, in in chain reaction. But uh, it was interesting to learn that there's actually a movie adaptation directed by Martin Scorsese and starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons, and Lily Gladstone. That's supposed to be released in 2023. So timing-wise, it's uh, very interesting, but. Sad to think about, but, you know, there are others who uh, who take advantage of their power when it comes to energy resources.
0: And if you want to delve into the uh, awful history of how uh, the nuclear fuel cycle has and the nuclear testing cycle has had on uh, various kind of Native American tribes, whether in Nevada or in other places where uranium mining was happening. Uh, it's it's pretty terrible. The people who, who write on this stuff and, and talk about these things from uh, various indigenous communities t- like to mention the fact that, well, yeah, a nuclear weapon hasn't gone off in the United States, but people from our communities have been killed by the United States' as nuclear weapon program. It's all connected, unfortunately, in some terrible way. I really do appreciate the fact that you were here and we're able to talk about Chain Reaction. you got me back on the, the podcast saddle here. I uh, hope to have a lot more episodes coming out in the next couple of months now that I'm kind of back to a regular rhythm and not focus on some other stuff that uh, was more important than the podcast, but not as, uh, as much fun. So really appreciate uh, you, Kevin, coming on here so often and really appreciate your insight here. Wanted to have you here. You're you're uh, an energetic performer and the perfect person we want to have to talk about energy. Hey, I mean, you keep asking me, so I'll keep showing up. Uh, If people want to find you, they should probably just uh, look for the guy who uh, looks like um, a very warm, uh, warmly clad individual who looks like maybe an extra from the new Road Warrior uh, movie driving a motorcycle around the D.C. area, right? In, In cold temperatures, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks again, Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Super Critical Podcast. If you have any suggestions for a future episode or you want to tell us what we got wrong, uh, either nuke-wise or uh, maybe... Maybe Kevin got something wrong about motorcycles. Probably not. It was probably me mispronouncing something. Uh, there are a couple of ways you can contact the show. We're on Twitter at Nuclear Podcast, uh, or at least until I uh, create my Nuclear Podcast parody account that gets uh, uh, nixed by uh, Elon Musk. Hope we'll see how that happens. We have a website, supercriticalpodcast.com, and an email account that I promise to get back to responding to, uh, supercriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this has been Tim Westmeyer. And to Kevin. And remember, if it's pop culture and radioactive, we are bound to get super critical about it. Have a good one.